0: Founderspace, Mentors, and Masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Today, I'm here with Pod Smith, of Blue Horizon Venture Consulting, and he has a new project he's gonna talk about, Newer Tour. So Todd, I know you have three master's degrees, and the first thing I want you to do is tell us, why did you get three master's degrees, and what are they in?
1: I knew years ago when I was in the corporate world, I was slaving away for companies like IBM and Florida Blue in the healthcare field, and I just never felt at home. In the corporate world, I learned a lot and it was great, but I just always knew that I I wanted to be out there as an entrepreneur with my own companies. So I started looking at various MBA programs as kind of a bridge to that new life 24 years ago at this point. And um, UCLA Anderson came up as one of the top ones on my list. I interviewed at a ton of schools and at the time, I think they were ranked as the number one or number two entrepreneurial school in the country, if not the world. So I decided to go there. Fabulous experience. I really focus my energies on entrepreneurship. I had a really cool experience in between my first and second year at UCLA. I got to do a two-week tour in Portugal, a business tour um, that was sponsored by some of the business schools over there. So I got to do that. And then I got to spend an entire uh, semester over in Sydney, Australia at the Australian Graduate School of Management. And I actually worked at the uh, organizing committee for the Olympic Games in Sydney. Before that, I did an internship in Santiago, Chile, a a startup company there. So all of those things kind of contributed to that itch of international business. I got to, to see all these great places. And so when I was in Australia, I just kind of started looking at Thunderbird and said, Hey, this is a great international management school. It had been ranked number one for many years. And I was able to piggyback right off of my UCLA experience and go into that.
0: Your second master's degree.
1: And I went right into it. I managed to kind of test out of the first level of Spanish so I could jump right into the second level. And, and that enabled me to to graduate pretty quickly It was like an eight month deal in, in Arizona. You are going to get a third master's degree now? So that should be my fourth. Fourth? Um, I've always had a passion for real estate. I've made a lot of money in real estate, hospitality, real estate in particular, I'm really interested in. And so uh, FIU has an online master's program with concentration in real estate development. So I'm taking that and it's I'm learning some great things there too.
0: I think our audience can learn a lot from you because you're on your fourth master's degree, but you sure. also have a lot of business experience. Tell us what you do at Blue Horizon.
1: So Blue Horizon Venture Consulting is kind of my core business. And we work with early stage companies, or high growth companies. We develop investor grade business plans, financial models, investor presentations. That's kind of the, the base level of service. And then we also help our clients raise capital. And sometimes, will even step into an interim operational role like a CFO or COO for, you know, 6 months a year until they kind of uh, level up to to where they can hire those people full time.
0: Give us a couple quick examples of startups that you really helped break through and what they did to get to that next level.
1: One of the companies that I that comes to mind is grouped down in Mexico, had a 600-year-old hacienda building east of Mexico City up in the the mountainous regions. They invited me, they flew me down there I got to see the property and, uh, it was pretty decrepit. I mean, it was, it was, uh,
0: I can imagine 600 years old. They had yeah, some repair yeah, work actually, to do.
1: There's a tree in the courtyard that was as old as the the building, which is pretty fascinating. They turned that half destroyed building into like a five star resort with a spa, and oh, it's just amazing what they did and created a bunch of jobs for the community. And
0: in what aspect did you help them with with their transformation?
1: So they were looking to raise capital, and they really didn't have a good plan daughter was the one who hired me. She was based out of Miami and she's an opera singer of all things. She didn't really have a clue what she was doing other than she wanted to help her parents, help her family. And so she brought me in and we created a compelling business plan. We projected finances out for five years. We figured out how much it was going to cost to rehab everything to the five-star level and then tried to project the bookings for the first five years as they gradually built up. And when you can create something that's defensible, that investors understand in their language, it makes it pretty easy for them to invest in a project. And so-
0: Now, who did you go to? with the, Did you go to your network with this plan?
1: So th- they had some family connections, certainly that helped. But yeah, there were some people, in, especially in Los Angeles area that are, had some connections in Mexico. And in fact, one of my classmates at UCLA was presidential candidate, I think with the Green Party, in Mexico, really interesting guy. One of the biggest benefits I've found in going to all these different master's programs is the networks that you create in those groups. I mean, it's just phenomenal, the people that you meet. And then later on down the road when you're in in business and you can, you just kind of think, hey, you know, I know this guy and he knows these people. And then the next thing you know, you know, they're fully funded and ramped up and doing what they want to do.
0: So this is good advice for entrepreneurs out there. If you're trying to figure out what you want to do and you want to learn more, and you also want to expand your network, get another master's degree.
1: Yeah, and keep that in mind. I think people kind of get a little myopic when they go into studies and they're worried about their coursework or they're worried about a job. I guess it's a different perspective when you're an entrepreneur. You're looking at things a little bit differently. And so I've made a conscious effort to really network and get to know people. And those relationships always down the road can lead to great things, partnerships, joint ventures, investments.
0: Yeah, and I know we've stayed in touch. You do a great job. You actually pinged me recently, and that's why we got back in, in touch. You're a really good networker, and that's a lesson for our entrepreneurs out there. When you go to anything, especially college or master's program, It's not the grades you get that are going to matter. It's not even the knowledge you get that's going to matter. The thing that will matter the most are the relationships. Who do you know? You should work as hard on those as you do on your studies.
1: Yeah, and I think people kind of tend to overlook that. At least that's my observation of some people. And of course, the online world is a little different. When I was at at University of Florida, yeah, it was all the courses were online. But I made an effort to go to the campus. I participated in a program where we went to Haiti and supported a disadvantaged entrepreneur he's gone on to do fantastic things i went to south africa for seven or eight weeks and worked in disadvantaged entrepreneurs there very eye-opening experiences i've got a call now one of the people that was on that south africa trip on thursday where we're going to talk about her new venture and me possibly helping there so again it's uh Making that effort to get involved and getting in there and digging in, getting to know people, a lot of times it just comes, circles back to you when you least expect it.
0: Well, you definitely have a fun job. You're traveling all over the world. You're working with entrepreneurs there. You have a global network to really help them. That leads me to your new project, which is newer tours. Now, this excited me when you told me about it. So tell me about what your plan is for this new type of hybrid educational program, and adventure.
1: Nortours is really venture travel aimed at entrepreneurs and business owners. And if you're familiar with the concept of masterminding collective thinking around businesses, you get like-minded people together in a room or out in in the world somewhere, amazing things can happen. So I've been interested in adventure travel and I lead bicycle tours for adventure cycling, big organization here in the U S and I've done tours in Europe and ridden all over Australia.
0: And when you say adventure cycling, for those who don't know, describe that
1: so cycle touring is basically a number of ways you can do it but you can be van supported or you can just carry everything on your bike and you just travel from point a to point b over the course of a weekend a week a month or sometimes a year i have a friend who just completed a tour from new jersey to san diego across the country raised a bunch of money for a charity and did extremely well
0: and how long did that take
1: him so he took a good long he took like four months or so
0: okay so Uh, you just go on an adventure with your bike when you are going to do this on entrepreneurial adventures. What type of adventures are you thinking of?
1: Cycling is certainly a part of it, but any kind of outdoor adventure travel next year, I'm hoping I can take a group and climb Mount Kilimanjaro over in Tanzania. Might do another tour, Machu Picchu and the Galapagos Islands. And people may come to me with ideas. I'll probably design some tours or things that interest me, quite frankly. And I may also do custom tours. Like there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, companies now and kind of the post-COVID era where everybody's working remotely while taking their C-level staff or their, their key employees on these kind of adventure trips. So I think there's probably a little niche there in the corporate world that I could tap into.
0: It's gone from offsite to adventure. Like people want to be doing stuff. Tell me, I can imagine if you really want to bond with other people, and you really want to have those deep relationships, which matter so much, that lasts beyond the period of time, doing an adventure is a great idea because then instead of just sitting around and discussing stuff, you're actually relying on them, do and achieving something with them out in the real world.
1: What's really compelling to me about this is I've seen the energy and relationships that develop in mastermind meetings, sitting around a conference room, And I've also seen lifelong friendships uh, develop on these bicycle tours. So I'm thinking, wow, you putting two of those things together, then it's just kind of an exponential type of of relationship. Who knows what's going to come of this? You know, joint ventures, new business ventures, you know, dramatic growth. You know, let's face it, we're in a super noisy, cluttered world these days with digital bombardment. And so getting people to unplug and step away from that, and go out and do something adventurous, I think is very worthwhile. End of our lives and we're sitting in rocking chairs. We're not going to remember necessarily the work we did somewhere, but definitely going to remember some of the adventures and exciting things that we did. That has a lot of value.
0: I believe the happiest people treat their life as an adventure. They're not treating it as a grind, like I have to go through this. They're not just looking at the goal that they have to reach someday. They want every day, whatever they're doing every day to be a story, an adventure, some new experiences that change and transform them. What you're doing for entrepreneurs can become a microcosm of that. So you're creating this adventure, you're going on it together. You know, to climb Mount Kilimanjaro would be amazing. And to do it with a bunch of other people who are entrepreneurs, they're out there. Some of them, I guess, maybe venture capitalists you might invite along. Could be a really bonding
1: experience that could carry over. Totally believe that. I've not seen anybody doing this. And the idea is to create adventures where you have downtime, climbing Kilimanjaro for example is you've got to you've got to go pretty slowly when you're climbing to 19000 feet that acclimatization time You can spend sitting around a campfire or talking about your businesses, having lunch in a meadow somewhere and beautiful scenery all around you and and just kind of being inspired. And I think that's going to be pretty special. And, you know, with cycling tours, I'm not going to go really hardcore. I want to make it challenging, but easy enough for even a novice to do and then have the afternoons in nice resorts where we can sit around and have a meeting and talk about each other's businesses. And I think that's going to be pretty compelling.
0: That's great because I'll tell you, I am in decent shape, but I'm definitely a novice Novice at mountain climbing. And I can ride a bike, but that doesn't mean I've been on an adventure biking tour. Let's talk a little bit more. I want to get into some of breakthroughs and insights. What are some of the key learnings that you've taken away?
1: You know, I think the the people kind of get trapped in their lives sometimes and they don't take advantage of some of the opportunities that are presented to them. And I think it's the people that take risks and chances that ultimately are, are the happiest. And sure, not everything is successful. There's failure. Pretty much every successful person in history has had significant failures in their lives. It's very rare that someone goes through life without a failure. I think that's a big takeaway. You know, for me, it's following your passion, doing what's right for you in my case, I know I'm not meant to lead thousands of people. I just, employees, I don't want to say a nightmare, but you know there's there's a lot of issues and maybe you know I hire a manager and and they've managed that kind of stuff, but I know that that's not me. I have a passion in in travel and real estate and startups and early stage businesses and those are things that that fascinate me. That's where I spend my time and I outsource as much as I can and that creates an entity and a structure that suits my lifestyle and my personality and so I think that's key to align what you're doing with with your own personality so that you're not stuck, you know running a business that you don't enjoy or you feel trapped in what you're doing people, you know, they don't create a business, they create a job for themselves. And sometimes they don't have a very good boss. So yeah, those are those are some of the big takeaways for me.
0: So you talked earlier about failure. What is one of the failures you've had? And what did you learn from that?
1: There's been a few but 2008, the the mortgage meltdown was uh, a brutal example. I had a lot of real estate in Florida, probably too many eggs in one basket, which was a lesson learned when that hammer dropped. Let's face it, these black swan events seem to be happening. Happening more frequently now than, than ever we've been through just in the last 20 years or so we've been through three major ones so I suffered learned how to restructure and get back on my feet and start all over again it's certainly having been successful to a degree the first time it wasn't very difficult to get back up and, and do it again you know and then when you're faced with something like COVID you know how to react because you've been through grinder before and I'd say the error that I made in two thousand eight was you know, waiting for things to get better instead of taking immediate and massive action. And so with COVID, that's what I did and you know, weathered it very well. And what
0: did up. you do? What so action did you take?
1: Cost cutting, you know, seeing what's coming and saying, Okay, this is gonna be pretty serious. So revenues are gonna get hammered. They did like dropped like eighty percent between March of twenty nineteen and March of twenty twenty or April. So yeah, you, you quickly cut costs, you restructure, you pivot to in new directions that you maybe weren't gonna do before. And as a result, coming into 2021, I've had first half of this year was just phenomenal. Great first half, About six months I've had a long time, if not ever. Sometimes these are growth events and when you learn from them, you get stronger the next time. Uh, assuming you don't give up, that's what it's all about. It's the name of the game. Use that failure to your advantage the next time I'm out and you'll do a lot better.
0: Now, there are a lot of myths out there about entrepreneurialism, what is success? What do you think is one of the biggest myths, that bubble that you will like to pop?
1: Uh, the myth of that business plans are no longer necessary. I understand where it came from and, and the whole lean startup methodology, which I totally on board with. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be necessary to do your homework, to understand your market, your industry, to have a plan, to have a strategy, to have a financial forecast. All of those things are important. Now, where this came from is a lot of the venture capitalists out there got sick of reading bad business plans. And I get it. I mean, they're less than one half of 1% of plans ever get any kind of funding. And in large parts do because they're garbage and people don't understand how to put together a good plan. That is what it is. But if you create a pitch deck and you gain investors interest, and then they start to dig into your deal and find out you don't know what you're talking about, or you haven't done your homework, it's going to come back to bite you.
0: This is a really important point that I want to emphasize. In Silicon Valley, everybody preaches, you just need a 12 slide investor deck. That's all you need. And you're going to change it all the time anyway. So don't worry about it. But those 12 slides are important. It's a great way to introduce your company to investors. And let's face it, I am an investor in Silicon Valley. I know lots of venture capitalists there. Venture capitalists are lazy. They're using that investor deck a lot of time to just screen you out, decide which ones they want to go deeper with. You need the business plan for yourself. As an entrepreneur, you need to know if your business is going to work. Will the numbers add up? What is your plan? Where are you going? Where do you see this going? What's it going to cost? Like how much money should you actually be asking for? If you don't know those things, it's going to come back and hurt you. And yes, some investors may fund you without that. A smart investor would probe deeper to make sure you have those things in place. But some investors, they'll just throw their money at any shiny object so you can raise money. But then you are still operating without a plan and without any idea. From my experience, like you, coaching lots of startups, I find out that the startups out there, a lot of times they don't know how to put together a plan, a real plan. So they're just making up numbers. Now, making up numbers doesn't really do you any good because again, you're just making them up. What the plan is there for is for you to get a real handle on the situation you're about to face. It doesn't mean that your plan won't change. You don't know a lot of things and you'll learn a lot of things along the way. So your plan will change, but what you learn is really valuable. So, even just in the process of learning to make the plan, you will learn so much more about your business. It's forcing you to do this.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a great point. It's funny. I just got off the phone with a, a potential client and he wants to have a kind of a bulletproof plan. And so I said, you know, yeah, that process is, is really the value to you. The questions that that inevitably answers when you go through the process, that's the value of doing it.
0: And we've seen the results when people don't do their homework. We work, for example. WeWork was founded essentially without a business plan, a big vision, an incredible vision, but all the actual numbers, the market, how much they could make per square foot, all these different things, they never really did. And it came back to bite them.
1: Certainly having, having a strategic vision and a focus on where you're going. And yeah, this is a living, breathing document. It's not something you do once and raise capital and walk away from. It's something you should update, if not every year, maybe ha- every half year, every quarter.
0: Entrepreneurs need to understand that there's no bulletproof plan. Nothing's bulletproof. There's no plan you can keep forever because the world is changing. You're always learning new stuff. Things are evolving. You're always going to have to adapt your plan. I want to ask you, in your life, like you've done a lot of stuff, what's the most valuable piece of advice you've gotten?
1: It's um, following your passion is probably the best piece of advice, and that's the one I like to relay myself. Uh, because if you're not if you're not really energized and you don't get up every day, you know, raring to go, um, you're not in the right business. You're not in the right field. And I know you know circumstance sometimes may dictate what people do, but you know, to the extent that you have choice and opportunity that's that's the biggest mistake you can make is not following your passion so just get out there and do what you love um there are ways to make a living doing it for sure no matter what it is if it's art and music or you know whatever i wish more liberal arts schools taught business as as kind of a a backdrop to to whatever outlet they were, were teaching, I think that would be extremely beneficial.
0: I absolutely agree. I've been talking to educators, college professors. They're now moving in that direction for the first time in the fine arts and other areas because all these people, they have these big dreams, but they don't really get the practical tools to help them make it happen being successful in whatever you're doing, if you want to earn a living, if you want to be able to live off of that, you have to think of it also from a business perspective. There was a very interesting thing the professors are telling me. And they said they run entrepreneurship courses now for people in the arts, you know, in the liberal arts. What they found is that the people in the liberal arts who are the ones who want to be not practical. They want to be a painter. They want to be a sculptor. They want to be a poet, something just completely unpractical. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the ones who are the most successful entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Now, you may say, what? Yeah. But the reason is because the ones who go into the arts and are actually practical, they're not dreaming big. Mm-hmm. They are not necessarily risk takers. Maybe they just chose this for whatever reason. But if you want to be a, a painter in today's world or a poet, you have to be a real dreamer. You have to like be really out. And you have to be willing. You've already decided in your life that you're going to take risks. You're going to do something that's unusual. So actually taking a risk on a business is a much more conservative approach. It's not a big leap. In fact, it's it's a very safe way to go. So they found that they they tend to be the ones in their incubator programs that they're setting up now who actually turn out more successful.
1: Yeah, I hope that that becomes more of the trend. One of my clients was a financial advisor and his partner was a NFL football player and they targeted professional athletes. And writing a plan for this guy, I found that the NFL was actually teaching all of their players especially their rookie, they have kind of forced these guys to learn about financial responsibility, which I think is it makes a ton of sense. Because you see, you know, you hear way too many stories about guys going out and blowing all this money and then they get hurt and then their careers are over. And next thing you know, they're broke again. And it's it's really sad, especially when you've made millions of dollars doing something.
0: Yeah, you hear of these sports stars and celebrities who have their moment of fame and make huge amounts of money. And then a few years later it's all gone. You know, one of the things I think in our educational system that needs to be changed is I think we need to inject into business programs, more creative thinking, more arts, more design so that people going into these business programs start to think beyond, you know, just the numbers and doing business, that it opens their eyes to other possibilities. At the same time, we need to take the liberal arts programs and inject more business into them. I think the future, we're entering a time where computers can do all the routine jobs. So if you're going to be an accountant in the future, forget about it. If AI and computers, they're going to do all these routine jobs. What people need to do is be creative, think creatively, create new entities, create businesses. That is where the value is going to lie.
1: Yeah. And I think historically, it seems like they've both been in in their separate silos, you know, and and so business People learn business, the arts, people learn the arts. So The scientists
0: know. learn the science. Yeah. In reality, we should break down those silos. Those silos are artificial. It's not how the real world works. I know a lot of scientists who become incredible entrepreneurs, but there could be a lot more if they had a little business training.
1: And I totally agree with you. I think technology, the exponential rate of change is, uh, you know, people have to be prepared for that. I, I think I read somewhere where we're going to see, you know, a hundred years worth of change between now and, and 2030. So what 2030 looks like and what we're sitting in now is could be totally different world. It's going
0: to be a completely different world. And we, we're not even prepared for that. No. You know, I do a lot of consulting. So I consult for big corporations. I consult for governments who run these big research institutions. Like I was at with one government and their research institution, they had two thousand PhDs working there, but they had a really hard time commercializing any of their research because they're all these PhDs in their little bubble. They aren't getting any entrepreneurs in there. They aren't teaching them design and creativity. So they needed to totally restructure that if they want to bring those products into the world. Large corporations, same thing. They have these separate R&D units, global corporations, where they have all these R&D people just talking to other R&D people, not talking to the rest of the organization. Again, very hard to commercial commercialize a lot of the research they're doing.
1: Yeah. And there's certainly resource, human resource component to that. I think there's also a financial resource component to that, that, that unfortunately we're not putting enough money into business development. You know, tons of money gets pumped into R&D, but then it just sits on a shelf a lot of times. And that's that's a shame because there's some really cool stuff out there. And
0: if we're going to retool America, it's really about taking these disciplines and actually creating ties between them. You know, because a lot of the best startups in Silicon Valley and probably the best startups you work with, you see them, and they have one person who's a scientist, it might be a biologist, another person who's a an coder, another person a designer, and then there's one who's like a business hustler, and they're all getting together, and then magic
1: happens. When they click, and everybody's on the same page, and they've got uh, a clear direction, I think yeah, incredible stuff can happen. You know, and there's just some technological change coming along that if you keep yourself open to opportunities, I think that's it's really exciting, and I'm looking forward to that next decade. I think it's going to be amazing the change is coming. It could totally wipe out some industries that exist today, just like industries have been wiped out in the last 20 years. So but at an even faster pace.
0: Yeah. Because this yes. technology is becoming more powerful. That's the thing. And it can be applied broadly. Like you look at AI, it can actually be applied to any business. You know, people are going to have to upgrade themselves. So with your adventure tours, newer tours, I think it's fascinating. I can't wait to be on one myself in the future. And, you know, you could do some really interesting tours because if I'm brainstorming with you, I'm thinking you could do a tour where you get entrepreneurs and other types of people, venture capitalists, scientists all together, where they could be exchanging ideas like we're talking about on the show but you could have theme tours so you could have a tour where you bike to different uh, universities and go into their labs and see what they're working on at the, you know around the country as you go you could have tours where you go to art museums or meet artists who are actually working with technology and new products and, or design tours you know innovation design thinking tours it could be really fun you could yeah. you could probably branch out in a lot of different directions and create these theme tours combining different people and different disciplines
1: yeah, and, and certainly I, w- I wanna make sure that not just have being inclusive with these tours, but having a lot of diversity too. If you get 12 insurance salesmen, on a trip, it's probably not going to be super exciting. They're so. not
0: going to get a lot of new ideas. Right. They might bond and they might get some business done, but they're not going to get those new breakthrough ideas.
1: So I, I totally agree. I think, you know, having people from different industries, different backgrounds, different nationalities, uh, everything. I think that's when, you know, you kind of have that magic soup. and then you Yeah, and each
0: person out. could give a lecture about what they're doing or what they're really in that could spark ideas. And every night as you're climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro, you could have yeah. a different theme night, you know, as you get higher and higher. By the time you get
1: down, you know, there's who knows what could happen.
0: I found in my incubator programs and accelerator programs that we run at Founderspace, some of the best part of it is that the entrepreneurs interacting with each other, and we've actually had them form new companies and new teams that they didn't expect to form just by being together. Now, Todd, it's been wonderful having you. Before we go, I want you to tell our audience where they can find you.
1: Blue Horizon Venture Consulting, uh, my core business is at BlueHorizonVC.com. V is in Venture, C is in Consulting. And then Nortours is N-E-U-R-T-O-U-R-S.com. If you're interested in some of our upcoming trips, come check us out. We'd love to, to have you apply and, and be on board if I can help getting a business uh, started or getting it to the next level. I'm very passionate about that as well. Check us out and love to love to talk to you.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.